David, how are the dog days of summer treating you? I feel like we're trapped in an oven slash sauna, and um, I'm I'm pretty much ready for September now. If it's going to be like this for the rest of the month, how about you? Yeah, no, I I tend to agree with you. It's um, what's surprising to me is is I always think of Congress going on recess kind of in the early days of August and then sort of starting back up after Labor Day. But I'm struck by how much activity there's been on Capitol Hill over the last couple of weeks. There's been a lot of activity on Capitol Hill. I mean, for those of us who deal with the regulatory side, this has always been the height of of the year. August is just really an intense time. But usually we do get a little bit of a breather from Congress going, but they've been busy lately. I think we probably should talk about that. Yeah, and before we do, you make a really good point. So just really quickly, can you give us a sort of high-level summary of what's happening on the regulatory front or sort of what you've been working on? Absolutely. Basically, it's that time of year where we're, we are, you know, making sure that the the ESRD benefit program is up and in shape for next year um, and that it has a prospective payment system with a quality incentive program. So any, you know, any nephrologist who has any patients uh, who are going to go dialysis, which is pretty much most all nephrologists, um, they, they have to deal with that system. And it's a big one, and it's got a lot of things to do with it. So since there's a two-year pay gap, a two-year lag, um, 2023 would actually be the payment for data that was collected in 2021, which was not a great year in terms of how things went, a great deal of costs. A lot of quality measures uh, are skewed because of COVID and everything that was happening, plus the labor shortage. So trying to get that calibrated correctly so you know our members are not hurt by that come next year. Um, also, just general things like the, the real struggle for how to reform the payment for innovation um, to get more innovation into the kidney space, both on the drug side and the device side, continues to be really um really uh, an issue. The one that I think most of uh, our listeners would know about is the, that we are looking at next year as being the first year there will be a pass-through add-on payment for Kosuva. Um, and there's a lot of conversation about that because in that functional category, there's one drug already, but it's just over-the-counter Benadryl. So that would mean that the government doesn't plan to add any new money after two years of usage. And that's become a real problem when that happens. It's not enough time to really kind of expect the data to be to be developed. It's not enough time for patients and and clinicians to really uh, get use of a drug or a device. Um, and it kind of ends. And with no money on the other end, a lot of nephrologists and a lot of clinics and facilities really are hesitant to use new things that they're going to have to remove for cost reasons from their patients at the end of the two years. So there's a lot there that needs to really be refined and, and honed in. Yeah, just from a process perspective, so responses to the proposed rule are due soon, and then the staff at HHS will consider those, and then we'll issue final rules kind of early November, sort of before Thanksgiving, um, and then things would start going into effect January 1. Is that kind of a reasonable summary? That's, that's, re- that's reasonable, and, and pretty much, as always, uh, this stuff gets usually finalized when we're at kidney week. That's almost always the case. Um, so, and we're on track for that. We could be a little bit early for that this year, but uh, that is the time frame. And, and yes, it would be ready for January 1. 
So maybe shifting gears back to Congress. So the president has signed the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. There's a lot in here. I would actually call it a, a, a omnibus bill in the sense that it that incorporates a lot of different priorities of the Biden administration and the Democrats in the House and the Senate. Can you give us a quick sort of summary of the, the legislation, but also from a perspective of the kidney community, what we should be most interested in? Well, it's a $740 billion bill, uh, much less than originally they had wanted, but it's still a big bill. And it's still considered by most people to be a real success. A lot of this money is going to be factored into climate change. Tax breaks on electric cars, other, you know, cleaner energies, everything imaginable that you could get. Not everything that everyone in the environmental sector really wanted, but a lot. Uh, it, it is a big deal. There is money in there for um, support for those individuals who need subsidies for the Affordable Care Act and for buying insurance uh, on the open exchange. So that, I think, is probably the biggest thing that we're going to see in that space. The overall appropriations for things like NIH and NIDDK and things of that nature, those are going to be dealt with in separate spending bills for the regular government functions. But this is all stuff that would not have happened in the regular process if we had not had this code through. I think you're going to see this, this going in a lot of different ways. Might not be that kidney specific at the moment, but anything that helps allow people to get their insurance uh, and be able to afford their insurance is really important for everyone in the country and for all the people who are affected by kidney disease. So maybe one way to think about it is there's the part of the legislation which is very much focused on climate change. There's the piece that's focused on the Affordable Care Act, which has a lot to do with, with drug pricing, but also increased coverage. And then to pay for those two areas of focus, there are new taxes that are very targeted to sort of the wealthiest part of the country. I just want to make sure I sort of have my, my arms around all the moving parts here. That's correct. And I'm not going to go into all the tax provisions, but they are pretty much aimed at the billion dollar plus businesses. And it's a pretty high up level of individual who would be impacted. It's an interesting little thing because it's, it's what we call a reconciliation package. It's a very kind of very specific use of legislative powers that are designed to reconcile what was in the budget spending. So when you pass a budget, you have one shot at reconciliation for that budget within that time period. And that does not require um, a 60 vote in the Senate. And so in other words, it can be done by simple majority 51 votes, um, which is basically the only way you get really new things done when you don't have a large majority in the Senate. So for Democrats, uh, being able to pull this off was a pretty big deal. Um, and there had been some Democrats who were concerned about certain sections of the economy that they wanted to really protect. And we did get, um, we did get a cap on out-of-pocket in Medicare for insulin. There was not an agreement on that in private payer space, but there was one in terms of Medicare. You know, what's interesting is that the Byrd Rule, which was named after former West Virginia Senator um, Robert Byrd, um, is what dictates when there needs to be this 60-vote majority. And of course, it was Senator Manchin from West Virginia 
he was he was sort of the one of the few holdouts in terms of the Democratic Party that was able to come on in terms of being supportive and get this over the finish line. So there's an interesting symmetry here in terms of your geeking out over reconciliation. Somebody someday should write the book on kind of the interesting history of the role of West Virginia in the last 50 years in the United States Senate, because it is a very it, it, it's a very rich history. It really is. But um, so, I mean, I think I, I think overall, uh, I think that, that these are good things that are really positive and show that Congress can still get some things done. Um, and there's actually been more done than we expect, uh, just as the chip bill with having to deal with uh, competing, particularly with China on the manufacturing of microchips. Uh, has passed in the last couple you know weeks as well. I mean, there's some things to get kind of excited about, and we've had we've had supply issues within dialysis facilities that were impacted by um, chip microchip availability for various dialyzers. So I guess the other piece of legislative activity, and then I want to come back to the the regulatory side. That's some exciting news, but the the other piece of, of legislative activity has been Congress's response to the Supreme Court decision in Marietta versus DeVita. Um, what's the status of this legislation? And just please bring us up to date on this issue. In the case of Marietta versus DeVita, uh, what was at stake here was a reading of the Medicare Secondary Payer Act. And the Medicare Secondary, Secondary Payer Act was designed to keep private insurers from automatically dumping a you know an incident diagnosis of kidney failure a patient who's just been diagnosed with kidney failure having them dumped automatically onto medicare um, so medicare secondary payer act requires them to maintain those benefits for a period of uh, close to three years but uh, a little short of that that uh has been a really important step to allow Medicare from being blown up with just a whole lot of like really fast and unfair dumping of patients. Now, there's been controversy over the years about whether or not dialysis providers really overcharge those private rates um, versus what they charge, got to charge for Medicare. And that will stay out of for the moment because, um, you know, if, even if you believe that that's wrong, two wrongs don't make a right. And I think what the Supreme Court did was wrong. They read it as basically saying um, that since this this insurance plan restricted the use of dialysis and not included any of the payments as in network, that that was not discriminating against people who have kidney failure. Well, of course, uh, that's where we talked uh, a little while ago in one of our podcasts about you know, Justice Elena Kagan saying that's crazy because dialysis is a almost nearly perfect proxy, as she wrote for the person with kidney failure. Um, that got people on Capitol Hill very concerned, and it's been a very, very um, bipartisan reaction because basically you're talking, if you if you just like pulled out of an envelope, turned it over and started scratching on the back of it, you're talking about if other companies and uh, insurers did the same, you could end up with a billion, billions of dollars of increases fairly quickly in Medicare uh, in that program, the ESRD program. Um, so what's happened is in a very short period of time, less than, I think it's less than 33 or 34 days, I don't have the exact number, between the time that the Supreme Court made the announcement and the time that the legislation was introduced, 
um, you had a bipartisan group with 17 members in the House, um, and then also a Senator Mendez of New Jersey and Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana in the Senate, basically putting together a bill that would prohibit group plans from putting limits, restrictions, or conditions on dialysis benefits compared to services needed to treat other chronic conditions the plan covers. Um, and so that is designed to be a legislative fix to what the Supreme Court did. Um, and I, I think we can be fairly optimistic about that having a good chance. And the main reason is because the Congressional Budget Office is likely to um, score this, we've talked about scoring legislation before, as a real money saver for the government because of the potential impact of what would happen if all these private payers like dump their kidney payer patients directly under Medicare. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, I, I think you're raising a couple of really interesting issues just to, to, to touch on briefly. You know, the first is that this legislative proposal is bipartisan and bicameral, which increases the likelihood that it may move, um, that it may move forward in, in this Congress. The second piece is that it's likely to be scored in such a way that it could then be offset with with um, legislative proposals that cost the government money, which will make it very popular. And then we have that whole conversation headed. And then I think the third piece is that how quickly this is moving. So if you were to predict sort of between now and the end of the year, what do you think happens with the bill? Um, I, I think that either either we have last minute success in the various funding bills and uh, it gets attached to that prior to prior to you know at some point in october even though the government runs out of money technically october one they might be doing a couple week uh continuing resolution um i'm hoping it's not kicked to december um and just for the just for the reason that should uh republicans take over in um in either one of the of the houses in the House or in the Senate, um, they might be really, really uh, reticent to allow anything into any like uh, Christmas tree package at the end of the year uh, because they'll want to be able to put their stamp on everything in the next year. So we'll see. I mean, it could be this fall or it could be into early winter, right? You know, in the December period. But I think you're right. I think this will be extremely attractive to them because it will be one of those that gives them the cover to actually spend some money elsewhere. So David, just before we move on to the last issue, you know, you alluded to the fact about the, the cost um, to insurers. And I do think in the future, we should probably circle back to the brewing um, fight between the dialysis organizations, particularly the large dialysis organizations, and AHIP. And AHIP is a, a not-for-profit organization that represents a number of the nation's insurers. And, and I, I do think that this is a really important part of this entire discussion and could potentially, um, I don't see a scenario where it's not going to be part of the negotiations and consideration of this legislation. I think you're right. I definitely think you're right. I think that there's there's going to be some serious talking about what's going on and how this is how we kind of came to be here. It, it it's distracting. The Supreme Court decision is distracting because it's so poorly reasoned and so poorly written. And yes, I am saying that. Um, but it, so that it takes away from 
a situation that had gotten really out, you know, somewhat concerning to a lot of people as being very out of balance um, with Medicare reimbursing for dialysis at rates that sometimes were just actually below market value, um, leaving dialysis providers charging much larger amounts in the private insurance area. I'm not trying to pick one side or the other on this one. I'm just trying to say point blank. Um, it's, a, it's not a balanced system. It's, it, it really needs some work. So just to close with, with some exciting news, um, earlier this month, the Department of Health and Human Services um, and ASN together announced that the KidneyX program was starting phase two of the artificial uh, kidney prize. So just to give people a, a sense as to what we're talking about here, um, phase one and phase two of the artificial kidney prize together are going to award up to $14 million in phase one, we've already distributed through HHS about $4 million in prizes across six winners. In phase two, which again was announced earlier this month, um, HHS may award up to $8 million in prizes. In phase two, ASN would then award um, about $2.5 million in prizes. So more than $10 million combined in phase two. For phase two, KidneyX will select up to nine winners total which includes up to three winners for track one and up to six winners for track two. And um, if you go to the KidneyX website or go to ASN's website, you can sort of get more information about track one versus track two. So we're really excited about this. I think it's a big step forward to the community. Um, we'll be promoting it through every channel possible, but just wanted to give everyone an update about KidneyX and sort of this exciting development. Todd, that's really exciting, really exciting. We we probably should have led with that, but I'm at least glad we got to it before we finished this podcast because people really should know that. When you think about where we were just five or six years ago in this discussion of creating Kidney X, the idea that we would be at this at this point this fast is really amazing. And congratulations to you and, and the others who really worked so hard to, to get Kidney X in place and to keep it moving forward. Yeah, and, and just to congratulate Dr. John Cedor, who's the, the chair of the Kidneyx Steering Committee, and to thank Admiral uh, Rachel Levine, who's the Assistant Secretary for Health and at, at HHS, and has really been an advocate for this program. And they're not alone, but but the two of them really deserve special credit. Um, so again, just to thank them and, and to thank everyone in the community for supporting this important program. This podcast is copyrighted by the American Society of Nephrology. All rights reserved. All content in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be medical advice. This podcast should not be used in a medical emergency or for the diagnosis or treatment of any medical condition. Please consult your doctor or other qualified healthcare professional if you have any questions about any medical condition or before taking any drug, changing your diet, or commencing or discontinuing any course of treatment. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the American Society of Nephrology.